I do believe that uh, Europe has a bright future and an unparalleled future, as President Nelson mentioned. And one of the basic principles is that we truly are all brothers and sisters, children of God. And because of that, we should do everything possible to help anyone who is in need, regardless of personal circumstances, citizenship, language, or culture. That although there are many different cultures, languages, traditions in so many countries, the gospel is the same, and the love is the same, and that love and faith is tangible. I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News. Welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. During a special devotional broadcast to Latter-day Saints in Europe earlier this year, President Russell M. Nelson said that at a time when some feel religion is dying in Europe, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has an unparalleled future because of its faithful members. You have access to the power, God's power, that will literally change the future of Europe, President Nelson said during the special Europe devotional broadcast Sunday, January 23rd. As you keep your covenants with increasing precision, you are the hope of Europe. You are the hope of Israel. Elder Massimo DeFeo, president of the church's Europe Central Area, joins this episode of the Church News Podcast to talk about this important area of the world. Elder DeFeo was born in Italy. He served as a full-time missionary in the Rome-Italy Mission, and he has served as a General Authority 70 since April 2016. Elder DeFeo, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this important area of the world. Thank you, Sarah. As we start today, I want to talk about what entails uh, administrative areas of the church. For our listeners who don't know, the church is divided into administrative areas. They're overseen by an area presidency. And earlier this year, there was some changes in Europe. And the former Europe and Europe East areas were realigned. And that resulted in the Europe Central area, the Europe North area, and the Europe East areas. Elder DeFeo, can you tell us what countries are included in your administrative responsibilities for the Europe Central area? So there was a Europe area before and a Europe East area. So Europe area included all countries of Western Central Europe and some countries of Eastern Europe. So the Europe East area was mainly Russia and the countries around Russia. Now there is a Europe central area. The Europe north area was created in April. And there's still a Europe east area. Now this happened mainly because of the war from an administrative standpoint to manage many duties that uh, now are possible to do only from this side of Europe. So We have uh, about 29 countries or so. I cannot name all the countries because, you know, there are many and with many languages. It's not an easy task. It's a smaller area compared to the entire Europe area that we uh, managed before, but it's still pretty large in terms of number of countries and number of languages. And obviously overseeing the work there is daunting because it is done in so many different languages. Can you talk about that broadcast and what impact that devotional message had on Latter-day Saints in Europe? Well, as you said, yes, it's still very challenging because of the languages and because of the different levels of maturity of the church. And when President Nelson addressed all saints in Europe members and non-members and missionaries, He, fortunately, at that time, there was only one big area. So actually, we can use now his devotional, even for three areas that are now in Europe. And uh, from my perspective, President Nelson's devotional gave new energy to all members in Europe. In fact, we frequently remind all members about that devotional. And many refer to that as a framework for what needs to happen 
and how we should look at things in the church in the future. So the impact was absolutely amazing in terms of faith, which increased greatly among leaders, members, and missionaries. It brought unity, a unified vision, new enthusiasm. We even use it in many of our meetings to discuss how this will actually happen and what we need to do to make it happen. So it has an incredible, amazing impact in our minds and souls because it gave us uh, a new uh, purpose. And I, I will say mainly it increased our faith because it was very, very specific, even in some of the promises and the blessings. As you mentioned in the introduction, there will be an unparalleled future for you. Well, and this is a time of great trial and worry for many saints in Europe. I have always felt that that devotional itself was an example of President Nelson's prophetic inspiration to focus on that area of the world just before conflict would break out between Russia and Ukraine. How has that conflict impacted life for members in Europe right now? Well, actually, as you just said, the devotion was really a prophetic uh, moment because there was exactly one month, only four weeks before the conflict. No one knew that that was coming. So it was really, really something that when it happened, we went back to devotional and we recognized immediately the hand of the Lord. So in a way, the conflict, of course, brought many, many issues and problems uh, in the lives of the members and non-members, of course. So the, the impact and the conflict affected in, in many ways. Now, putting aside for a moment all the problems that the conflict has created to many, and for understandable reasons, we all know what a war is about, or maybe we don't know, but there are always issues and problems for the families, for individuals, people who need to leave their countries. So it, it is very, very impactful. But let me emphasize uh, some positive aspects because, you know, many times we look at conflicts and wars as tragedies, which is true, of course, and that is the reality. But beyond that, I think we need to look at opportunities. So first of all, I have never seen before so many members helping each other in a united effort at all levels in all countries. So I've seen solidarity. I've seen uh, sincere love for others, the desire to help in any way possible. I've seen it all. I've seen really the gospel in action and in practice. Now, I'm not saying that before the conflict, that was not the case. I'm saying that because of the conflict, something happened in the hearts and the minds and the souls of the members in Europe. So the conflict indirectly created an unprecedented unity among all members throughout the Europe area, a sense of fulfillment, I would say, for many members and families who immediately raised to the occasion and helped refugees and members from other countries arriving and needing help. And so if this was a test to see where the dedication, the commitment, the faith of all members in Europe are, well, then we have seen everything. I think the test was passed. All members in all units, in all countries in Europe, volunteered and provided all types of help to those in need. So I would say that one effect of the conflict, again, in all of its tragedy, has been to unite all members in Europe and give more purpose to all. We have seen not only active members of the church helping, but also less active joining again, and many friends of members joining the church in helping. One nice thing to see was how many members of the church in many countries, not just in the border countries, but in many countries, offered to host in their homes refugees, of course, primarily members of the church leaving their countries, leaving Ukraine mainly. And it was incredible, amazing, heartwarming to see how they, many members of the church across the area opened their homes. Another aspect is that many members 
coming out of Ukraine and arriving in different countries showed an incredible great faith like pioneers that strengthened the faith of those who helped. So all were strengthened in their faith, both those who stepped up to help, so to speak, and those who received, who showed an incredible faith as they immediately joined the church after leaving their countries and finding help. Just to give you an example, I met a family of five from Ukraine when they left the country, and and I met them in Warsaw, in Poland, a couple of weeks after the conflict began. And uh, it is a miraculous story, but every other sentence that this mother, as she was sharing their story, every other sentence she would say something like, and we have seen the hand of the Lord in this. And then again, and we have seen the hand of the Lord. And so in many countries, the refugees who are members of the church started then to attend local units and quickly integrated and even strengthened the faith of the local members in the receiving countries with their testimonies, resilience, and dedication. So the temporal effects of the conflict, of course, are tragic and are being evaluated to see how families and members have been impacted. But certainly the spiritual effects are very positive across the board in every place, country, unit of the church in Europe. I think so many of us in so many other areas of the world have been praying for the Latter-day Saints and the refugees and anyone impacted by this conflict in Europe. Overall, how are the refugees doing? Overall, they're doing pretty well, of course. Now, refugees, we need to distinguish between members of the church and non-members of the church. So the members of the church who evacuated from Ukraine are about 1,000. And so we had an opportunity to help most of them, if not all of them, as we became aware of uh, where they were at the border or wherever they were, we had a system to place them in the right place, to help them with the first aid and emergency needs, and then even to relocate to other countries. And and for the refugees, you know, we're talking about 9 million people <laughs> uh, leaving Ukraine. And so, again, that's a kind of a business for the governments in the countries where they come to help them. But still, the church is coordinating efforts, even with the local governments, with many, so many service projects to help them. So we are committed in many ways. In general, to answer your question, they are doing pretty well. More the members of the church, of course, the church is helping in many ways, but also those who are not members of the church, where the church is still involved. Now, long before this current conflict in Europe, refugees were coming to so many of the nations there. Obviously, your home country of Italy has been the destination for refugees coming from nations and areas south of Europe. I remember a beautiful talk by Elder Patrick Kieran, now of the Presidency of the Seventy, who spoke about refugee in this crisis in 2016. Can you talk about the Church's desire to help those in need? Yeah, I remember that. A wonderful talk. I think uh, Elder Kieran touched the hearts of many. If I remember well, even Elder Ruchtorf, uh in one of the pictures, as um, Elder Kieran was speaking, I think Elder Ruchtorf was touched because I think many times he shared how is a story of refugees, mm-hmm. his own family. So I, I think... Yes. That has a very strong impact on all of us. Yes, you're right, Sarah. Many countries in Europe have been affected by waves of immigrants for decades. So this is this is not new. <laughs> uh, so this is our history. We have seen many different flows from Africa because, you know, many seek a better life in Europe and opportunities to help their families with the money they can earn by working in Europe, and most of the times they just collect some money and they send money to their families in Africa. But also, not just from Africa, 
we have seen waves, we still do, from the Middle East because of the wars in uh, Iran, Iraq, and more recently in Syria. But also, surprisingly maybe for some, from South America for decades, many members of the church coming from some poorer countries to find a future in Europe. So we have seen many flows from all over the world. So Europe has a long history of immigration and how to help immigrants. Now, most of the countries in Europe have well-established policies to help immigrants for first needs. You mentioned Italy. That is true when they first arrive. So Italy is one of those countries like Greece or Spain that is kind of specialized in first arrival, in first aid and emergencies. And then there are other countries where policies and laws are more developed to host these refugees more permanently, like Germany, for example, UK, the Nordic countries. So the European community is well prepared to help regulate the flows. Of course, some things don't work as expected, or there are political issues that don't help. Still, there is collaboration between the church and local governments and entities to help in whatever way is needed. Now, having said that, going back to your question, the church is on the front line and is and always being eager to help in addition to what local governments do or in collaboration with uh, what local governments do or even regardless of what the local governments are doing or should do or, or don't do. Fortunately, the church can help with its resources at a general level, at a local level, of course, always by respecting strictly local laws and policies. So certainly what Elder Kieran taught at that general conference is true. And what we need to understand, I think one of the basic principles is that we truly are all brothers and sisters, children of God. And because of that, we should do everything possible to help anyone who is in need, regardless of personal circumstances, citizenship, language, or culture. The gospel is always inclusive and never exclusive. So I think from that talk, I think there was a message to all, including members of the church, Sometimes because of cultural differences, it's not easy to integrate immigrants. And so there was a powerful principle that was timely taught. Now, because we have always been doing that, so it's not just in terms of laws and regulations. We are pretty good at that. But you need to know that now almost 25% of all active members in Europe, so we're talking about one out of four in most of the countries where there are still important immigration flows are not only acting in the church, but they are in leadership positions in the church, in the countries where they live. So if you look at countries like Spain, Italy itself, if you look at the local units, many of them are not just well integrated in the units, but they are not passive in serving. Actually, they are very, very much involved in leadership positions. We have many, many bishops, even state presidents, who are from, say, South America or other countries, and they bring a lot uh, to the church in Europe. So this only tells you that the process of integration and friendship and brotherhood is solid and effective in the church in Europe. So we are very happy about that. Wow. Well, and I was so touched that President Nelson spoke about the future of Europe and the growth of the church in Europe and promised a bright future for Europe. And there was one point when he actually said Europe will grow not just from those coming to Europe, but with those who are already there. At a time when many in Europe are not as religious as they have been in the past, can you talk about the future of the church there as well? Absolutely. So um, I remember well uh, the promise by President Nelson. Most of the countries in Europe are becoming more and more secular, so that is a reality. However, we see uh, a bright future of the church in Europe. Now, of course, traditions are hard to change, even in the, in the mindset so I, I think the promise from the prophet was given to allow us to see 
that we should not believe, like many have done in the past, from members to missionaries, that it is difficult to help people in Europe to accept the gospel. You know, sometimes we have that kind of mindset that it's impossible to convert people. It's, it's not easy. It's very difficult compared to other areas or other countries in, in the world. But I think President Nelson gave that promise to also to increase our faith, improve our vision, show that if we believe and see things from a different perspective with a new increased faith and look forward and ahead of us, there is a bright future regardless of what happened or did not happen in the past. You know, if you ask me, I I would never think because of what happened or did not happen in Europe to this point in the history of the church in Europe, I would never look back and say, you know, it's impossible because that's the tradition. And, you know, we, we may be deceived because of that mindset. So I believe that President Nelson just reinforced the vision of the future that must increase our faith, that with the help of the Lord, we can do it and things will change. So I think it means that we should look at new opportunities for those who have been in the church here and look for more opportunities for those who are coming to Europe. Again, with all the immigration flows that always characterized Europe, if we get the vision and join forces, I don't think there is a problem there. So regardless of the secularism, the process, yes, it is at the beginning, but it is already happening. We need to develop this vision of faith and look ahead and not back and do it. We are seeing already many miracles, uh, even among those who are coming to Europe, there are some who are already joining the church, are converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are several who are accepting the gospel in countries where traditionally it was very difficult, if not impossible, to preach the gospel. So it is a new day if we see with a vision of faith. That's what President Nelson promised to look ahead. That's the bright future, an unparalleled future. So I think if we believe in, in that, if we change our mindset, and increase our faith, there's no problem. We, we can do it, and the Lord will move forward to work. That is beautiful. We have actually talked about the conflict and the refugee crisis and secularism in these countries. What are some of the other challenges now facing members in some of these areas? Challenges are same as before. I don't think anything, any challenges really changed compared to what we saw before the conflict. Of course, youth, the rising generation, that is an important duty and and responsibility that we feel that we need to do, we need to take care of. It's not easy for our rising generation to live in this society. And so it it is challenging, but the stronghold, even in the countries, and the core of the church is pretty strong in Europe. This conflict did not add any more challenges other than maybe trying to provide the needed assistance, respond to the emergency quickly and effectively, which is still a challenge today after a few months. In some ways, the spiritual challenges have decreased, as I told you about the opportunities. And we see that as the faith of many has actually increased, even because of the conflict. So, yes, we look at more secularism, more and more secularism in many countries. That is a challenge, which can affect how people receive the message of the gospel and staying strong in keeping the covenants in a global society that is trying to decrease the importance of religion and the role of Jesus Christ in the lives of people. So, yes, we hear less and less about Jesus Christ, and that's why to face these challenges, we need to raise our voice more and more about uh, Jesus Christ. So that is the main challenge for the members here of how to survive spiritually in a changing world that is trying to diminish faith and the role of Jesus Christ in our lives. One of the great blessings of my career has been the opportunity to meet Latter-day Saints in nations all over the world, including Europe. It's always amazing to me when I meet them because 
they feel different to me. They feel elevated and that the church has blessed their life in a unique and powerful way and that they'll be able to and then turn and and bless their families and their communities and their nations. Can you talk about the strength and the power of members in Europe? Yeah, well, the, the church in Europe, as you know, you came here many times, is very diverse with so many different countries, languages, cultures, traditions. So there are different levels of maturity in the church in Europe. There are countries where the church has been there since the 1850s, like UK, for example, while somewhere else it was organized in the 1950s or 60s. But in some countries, it only started in the late 90s. So you see that we have at least three very, very different scenarios of growing the church, establishing the church in Europe. So with all these differences, the gospel has blessed all people and countries and families and individuals across the continent in powerful ways. Now, let me say, despite all the differences, the members of the church in Europe are very united for one thing. Sometimes we joke about differences in countries, habits, how we see each other, you know, in those worldly way. But the gospel has done something that no government or political union or institution has ever been able to do, which is to really tear down all kinds of walls, not physical, of course, but cultural and spiritual. So the church is a blessing for the countries where there is a presence of the church. It is a blessing for the community where we serve in many ways. It is a blessing for the people of the countries where more and more temples are being built because temples really are beacons and lighthouses in the darkness of the world. So members have been blessed individually and collectively as they find their home and family in the church. People who would feel lonely or left to themselves because of differences in the normal society finally find a place or have found a place that they can call home, a place where they find other brothers and sisters who understand how they feel, who face their same challenges, and who help each other. So the gospel has been a miraculous blessing for all in Europe in many ways. I would say, if you ask me about the strength of the members in Europe, I think they are faithful, they are strong in defending religion, because it's not easy task today in this society. They are very united in the gospel, despite of all the differences, which could be a a real challenge with the cultural and the traditions of the fathers, you know, not being members of the church before, especially for the youngest generations. And so it is challenging, but um, the European sense are showing uh, there is really its core in Europe. It's very solid, very rich, and very strong in faith and unity. And love, love for the Lord, love for the, the prophet, love for the apostles, and of course, um, love for, for the Savior. And this is a time that you just mentioned of temple building across the world just in his time as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, President Nelson has announced 100 temples, uh, some of those in Europe. We met several years ago at the dedication of the Rome Italy Temple. How have temples blessed members in these countries? Well, yes, President Nelson announced many temples. I believe he will announce more and more. I think he he has taken that as a sacred charge, and for good reasons. Uh, members all over Europe are just excited for the temples that have been announced, and are thrilled and wait for more to be announced by President Nelson. The temples um, are indeed an incredible blessing for our members in Europe. Through temples, families are being united and even reunited. New converts are strengthening themselves. We see that many new converts, when we as leaders understand the importance of making covenants or even do some work in the temple as early as possible, even in the 
conversion process of an individual, if we are able to send even newcomers to the temple to do baptisms for their families, their dead, that brings powerful blessings even to the newcomers. So we see that more and more temples are really, really blessing families, singles, newcomers, even missionaries who have more opportunities to bless many more as they teach and bring new friends to the temples. And they have an opportunity, even missionaries, you know, this was not the case before in the old days with no temples or just one or two temples in Europe. Even the missionaries now can even go to the temple and feel the power of godliness as the scriptures teach in their lives. So having more temples means that many more members can reach a temple in a few hours travel, whatever that is. And this is proving already to be a, a blessing that will make the difference in how the church will grow in the future in Europe, and I believe all over the world. Now, the youth in particular are beginning to understand the importance of making and keeping covenants and feel something deeper in their hearts. We hear of many youth who are becoming stronger as they attend more and more the temple on a regular basis. So more temples will increase the power that uh, the members will feel in their lives. And so as a natural consequence of that, the church will grow stronger and stronger in Europe. No question, no doubt about that. Great. Well, and you had the opportunity last October to accompany President M. Russell Ballard and Elder Jeffrey R. Holland and Elder Quentin L. Cook as they visited England and reflected on their missions there. They had all been British Latter-day Saint missionaries. And during that trip, there was also some opportunity to think and reflect on the early Latter-day Saints who joined the church in England. Now, when you think about the early days of the church, Europe played such an important role and such an important part in that original gathering to Zion. Can you share your feelings about this important Latter-day Saint legacy? Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. And you were there as well. Uh, So we were witnesses of that historic event. Now, first of all, let me say it was a personal blessing for me, a very personal level, to accompany three apostles in that visit. I still remember the feeling I had. It was like being with Mother Peter, James, and John. So I could feel their love for the members and the people in U.K., I saw and felt how they are attached to that land and how the members are connected. They feel connected to them because of their missions as young missionaries in that land. So there was a very special feeling during the whole trip. Personally, I felt that something needed to happen in UK to make the church grow even more and pay the right tribute to the saints in UK for what their ancestors had done for the church in its early days, as you mentioned, when really the church survived in America, mainly because of the great contribution of the sense going from UK to Zion, UK and other countries, but mainly UK. And I felt that many times when I visited UK for state conferences, mission tours, I felt the importance of that spiritual heritage that the saints in UK have, and are rightly proud about. So when the brethren announced the creation of the Europe North area, located in London, just right after this general conference, I rejoiced because I thought that was exactly my feeling. And given the importance of that heritage, I think with the changes in the areas, there will be more opportunities to grow and focus and even lead the church from a stronghold like the church is in the UK. You know, um, We think in terms of leadership, for example, with generations and generations. When I met the members there, they go back, I don't know, 10, 12 generations of members, pioneers, and they are strong. They really know what the gospel is about. Uh, They were kind of educated in the gospel in an incredible, wonderful way that now we have well-prepared leaders for the church in UK, and we have so many who could serve any callings, any assignment, at all levels. So I think these saints deserve it, uh, even to have now an entire area 
which focuses and and actually has the strength more focused in the UK. I think they will do everything in their capabilities to create a new spiritual momentum for UK and all the countries in the Europe North area, which will be felt across the whole continents. Yes, you're right. There is a spiritual legacy that, if understood from a spiritual perspective, can really make the difference for the church again, like it did at the early stages of the growth of the restored church. And I kind of want to circle back to where we started this podcast. We spoke a lot about this very tragic conflict between Ukraine and Russia. You've been right involved with worrying and thinking about Latter-day Saints who may be impacted by that conflict. How has that conflict affected you personally? Well, in many ways, because I suffer for those who are suffering, of course, members and non-members of the Church. I think that many are focusing on those in Ukraine who are suffering, which is right. A few think of the Russian people, for example, members and non-members of the Church who are suffering as well. People don't have any responsibilities in this conflict. So every time there is a conflict, we all suffer, we all lose. So it affects me as a leader of the Church, but also as a human being, because they are all my brothers and sisters, wherever they, they are. I suffer mainly for the children who lose their hope in the future as they see what wars still destroy lives and opportunities. I'm afraid for them. I'm afraid for, for them because they lose hope. So even more, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to all the problems of the world. On the other hand, yes, it affects me in my heart, in my mind. And of course, I need to think of ways to help. We have set up entire systems and structures, organizations, even some new organizations within the area to help. So yes, it affects us and me personally. But on the other hand, I know that the Lord takes what men do wrong and he transforms it in opportunities. So I see opportunities of many kinds in the future. You know, Sarah, we need to not, again, look back and and stay on the tragic events that we face. We take care of those. We handle tragic moments. We help. We do our best. But we immediately need, always, when anything happens, like wars or catastrophes, whatever happens, we need to look at the opportunities on how we can shape our souls, we can become better, we can do better, we can help in a more effective way, always with the spiritual objective to bring people to Christ. So if there's a way that can help in doing that, that's what we need to do. If you think of the pandemic, for example, the pandemic, of course, It was a very tragic event. Many families lost dear ones. And for a time, the world stopped. And I think Elder Benner even mentioned this uh, one time. If you think of the parable of the prodigal son, in, in Luke 15, it says that there was a famine in the land. And because of that famine... At some point, this young fellow, this young boy, started to think and to suffer even more. We think everything about his own life, thinking, well, maybe I should go back to my father. And that's what he did. And it was a kind of a result of a deeper reflection because of the famine and because of the circumstances, because of the challenges he was facing. Yes, tragic, but that was an opportunity for the Lord to transform a tragic circumstance, a tragic event, into an opportunity to go back to the Father. And so a war, a pandemic, anything that happens, we need to act quickly and help, and then look at the opportunity to transform that into a spiritual advantage or a spiritual opportunity to go back to the Father, like the prodigal son, go back to the Father in every way possible. And I think my role, our role here, my role is to mainly look, open our eyes, 
spiritualize and see the opportunities for the missionaries, for example, and for the members to help their friends to look at the events in a spiritual way so that we really take the opportunity. That's the way I see it. That has been an answer to my personal prayers. I had not contemplated that one way we can all help people around the globe is by strengthening ourselves spiritually so we'll be able to receive and act on personal revelation in our own lives and to bless the lives of others. Having said that, one of the questions we've received so much at Church News since this conflict began was how members, especially members in the United States, can help those in Europe. What can we do from our seat here in a different country to help those who may be affected by war in Europe? We received that question many times. And, you know, with so many uh, wonderful and generous members in the States and especially in Utah, where the church is so strong, many asked the question, what can I do to help? And so now let me give you some background here. One thing that uh, we did. So the very at the beginning of the conflict, just like a couple of days after it began in February, two or three days, what we did, we immediately organized a committee, a special committee at the area level, the Emergency Response Committee, ERC, which included several experts about emergencies, self-reliance, welfare and self-reliance specialists to help refugees. Of course, it was presided by the area presidency. It was one of my counselors, Leo, to gather information about the immediate and urgent needs and also organize more mid- and long-term help for members of the church fleeing the country because of the war, but also for non-members and friends of members. So the evacuation from Ukraine was massive, and so uh, we needed to act quickly and effectively. Now, having said that, so this ERC, this committee was very helpful in streamlining processes, coordinate efforts, and make sure the right help would reach the right people. You know, in situations of emergency, many want to help and offer help, like you you said, but many don't know how to do it, or others, some do it in the wrong way. No matter how good your intentions may be, sometimes people who genuinely want to help can cause even some damage if it is done in the wrong way, or through the wrong people or the wrong organization. So a coordinated effort by following the right lines of authority and communications is critical to the success of such a big effort. And so, of course, there was there is help at the general level from the church through partnerships with important organizations. There is Latter-day Saints charities. There is the area helping. And so if you ask me what other single individuals or small groups or some units can do they can do a lot as long as this is the requirement. This is the answer, the specific answer to your question. As long as they coordinate it with the right people. I'll give you an example. I saw, well, you know, when I was there, I saw that there were wonderful members of the church, very kind and generous. They wanted to help, and they reached even the borders of the countries between our countries in Europe and Ukraine to help. And they went there, and they expected to just be there and provide help with their time, with their resources. I saw people going there with luggage full of money, you know, because they wanted to help. But as you may understand, you know, at that time, a couple of months ago, even if you went to the border with luggage, with boxes full of money that could not be used, could not be transferred across the border, that was not a good idea. In the end, uh, members all around the world can contribute to the regular church funds, of course, if they wish, if they want. The church will find a way. But if they want to act personally, if they want to do something very specific, 
we have ways to do it that are very effective and timely, much better than what a single individual or a group of people could do by themselves if they don't coordinate with the right people. Well, certainly so many people are continuing to think about and pray for all of the saints in Europe, especially those saints in Ukraine and Russia, and all of those amazing saints who are helping them in other European countries. When we end each Church News podcast, we do it with having our guests answer the same question, and we always give them the last word. And so I want to turn the time over to you and have you answer a question. And the question is, what do you know now? And what do you know now after leading and serving with and associating with Latter-day Saints in Europe? What do I know now? So that Europe is a wonderful place full of opportunities if we see them with our spiritual eyes. I learned that members in Europe are very generous. And Europe in many ways leads the world in what will then happen in the rest of the world. In Europe, the political turmoil affects the political balance or imbalance for the entire world, as it is happening right now. So this is not just now because the war in Ukraine, but it always has been so. Europe is the center of the world in many ways for its rich culture, politics, innovations, new ideas, especially coming from the new generations. Uh, The youth in Europe both in the church and outside the church in European society are very much involved and interested in what happens in the world. They want to make a difference. They want to contribute. They don't hesitate to raise their voice at all levels to declare what they believe and how the society should change. They lead the changes. They fight for their ideals. So we live in a very lively and dynamic society in Europe. That's what I see. That's what I learned. Well advanced and full of culture and innovative ideas. In the church, we see the same. We see the effects of this because, again, our rising generation is strong and will raise their voice to make things better. I learned that if we give responsibility to the youth, they will take it and lead with vision and faith, even better than past generations in the church, where the pioneers in Europe had great faith, but had maybe less skills in leadership, maybe, and brother vision to lead. So if you ask me, I wish we had the faith of the pioneers combined with the ideas of the new generations in the church in Europe. That would be the perfect storm to really make a huge difference in the world for good. Another lesson learned about the church in Europe is that although there are many different cultures, languages, traditions in so many countries, the gospel is the same, and the love is the same. Wherever I go, I feel for the saints, and from the saints, the same love and great faith in Jesus Christ. Members in Europe are faithful. If they pass the tests of this life and the challenges of this difficult society, they are very strong in keeping our covenants. Most of the members love the church, love the Savior, and that love and faith is tangible. And so that's what what I learned, that Europe is a wonderful place to live, to grow, to establish the church. I don't believe, and I hope no one really believes in in what the voices of the world say about Europe, that there is no future, that religion is, is dying. I don't believe that. I believe in a prophet's vision. I believe in the Lord's preparing the way for his second coming. And so I do believe from what I learned and I saw that uh, Europe has a bright future and an unparalleled future, as President Nelson mentioned. That's what I learned. So I'm deeply grateful that I was born and raised in Europe. Although my family never joined the church, I joined the church with my brother. When I was 10, he was 11, and our parents never uh, joined the church in this life. They did afterwards. But I'm grateful that in a miraculous way, I was raised in the church. I grew up in the church, even without a family, and I'm still here.
there must be a reason for that. And so I am grateful that the Lord has taken care of me all of my life. I always felt the love of the Lord for me. I always felt my love for Him. I think I was born with the love of the Lord in my heart. Maybe it's something that came from before this life. But I always loved the Lord. I always felt that uh, He is the head of His church, and this is His true church. I've seen the hand of the Lord everywhere and throughout my life. And in everything that I have done and seen, I recognize that without Him, everything seems impossible. When President Nelson says that uh, the Lord uses the unlikely to accomplish the impossible, well, you have one right here. I am the unlikely. And, but I know that uh, with His help and in His strength, I can do anything that He wants me to do. And I know that it's true, and I have complete faith in my Savior. There's nothing to fear. I love my Savior. Of course, there are things that need to be repaired. Everything that we do, there are many broken things, of course, because we are imperfect beings, and many broken hearts and souls. But I know that He loves to repair broken things and broken hearts and broken souls. That's why He is our Savior. And He can do it. He will do it. And I testify of um, the restored church and I testify of Jesus Christ that He is my Savior and our Savior. And He will come and save us. And I love Him for this. And I share my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com.